God Conversations with Tanya Harris. So, let me ask you that question. What does God tell me? <laughs> well, you know, thunder, lightning. <laughs> Mother Teresa, someone asked her, when did God speak to you? And she said, whenever he wants. So essentially, the Bible is a collection of God Conversations, if you like. I had a vision of a car accident, and I'm sitting on the couch thinking, why have I just seen this? How could I know if God was speaking to me? How could I know that that or that thought was actually just me thinking about, oh, that's that's a bad pizza. Jesus said we'd recognise his voice. It was never meant to be a one-way conversation. Lucky Chakoa was a prominent leader of an infamous crime gang in New Zealand. His was a life of extreme violence, crime, drugs and prostitution. Lucky was known across New Zealand's prisons. His nickname was famous and you didn't mess with him. But five years ago, everything changed when a local church pastor invited Lucky to church. At first, he hated it, but then God met him when the local cop and a member of the church prayed for him. Today, Lucky is a pastor leading gang members and others in a pathway of healing and reconciliation, holding trauma workshops, speaking at police conferences, and training churches to embrace the marginalised. We are so privileged to have him on the show to talk all things hearing God among New Zealand's gangs. Hi, and welcome to the God Conversations podcast. My name is Tanya Harris. I'm your host. I'm also a pastor, practical theologian, author, and the founding director of God Conversations, a ministry that equips you to recognize and respond to God's voice. And I am super excited to present Lucky to you today to introduce him to you. Uh, He has quite the story, let me tell you. And I have to say, we have virtually nothing in common (laughs) except perhaps our love of cats. And the most important thing, of course, we know the importance of listening and following the voice of the Holy Spirit. So if this story uh, stirs you today, why don't you share it around to those who also might be interested. God is doing something very special in New Zealand and also beyond. So, Lucky, it's so great to have you on the God Conversations podcast. Welcome. Cool. Nice to be here. Good to be with you too. Yeah. Well, we met only a few weeks ago in New Zealand in Wellington. Mm. I know it was Christchurch, wasn't it? We were both passing through, going in different directions, and we managed to meet. And I said to my, uh, my friends afterwards, I said, I've just had the best lunchtime meeting ever. I just met a man who's been involved in New Zealand gangs. It was the most unlikely mm. meeting, but we had a lot in common in the end, and it was more than just our love of cats, I might add. So, <laughs> <laughs> so lovely. Um, <laughs> what's, oh, actually, we should start with that first of all. What is your cat's name? Oh, it's called. she's called Lady. Yeah. Um, I really don't like the name, but my daughter named it and I ended up with it about two months later. <laughs> she moved house and um, wasn't allowed to take a cat. But it was already named, so I left it with her, but I really love that cat. Our mutual friend Brian tells me how much you love your cat and <laughs> having a bit of a laugh about it because, you know, you're a fairly mm. tough-looking guy, got tats all over mm. you, um, you've got quite a story and you love your cat, so soft heart. I know. But tell us a little bit about the Lucky Tokoa story. Wow. Well, I guess um, I'm 50, uh, 
from uh, 56 in August. And three months off before turning 50, um, I was living in Christchurch, you know, New Zealand's second biggest city. I'd been there for over 40 years, um, been tied up with the gangs. And, and you know, uh, the, the whole world that comes with gang world. I was actually with a, um, I guess they call, they're called a, a criminal, yeah. We try to avoid the word gang with this outfit. It was called a, um, I don't know what you'd call it, criminal element, I guess. Um, it was a, it was a business really making money through drugs, prostitution, um, um, violence, and debt collection, all that type of stuff. Like it, you know, I'm trying not to fancy it or dress it up, what it wasn't or what it was. But um, anyway, I, that had been my pretty much my whole life. Um, I've been with this group of men that I was with for 36 years. Wow. Um, wow. I was the number two for that group. Um, it was a crime syndicate. It was a big crime syndicate. It's still going now, and it's very, very big. It's very powerful. And um, I was right at the front, right at the start. Um, my friend and I, who's now dead, there's quite a few of them that were with me at the time that have passed away. And, uh, yeah, I was getting close to 50. I was three months off being 50, and I just knew I had to change my life. Mm. Um, I was sick of the life that I was living. Um, I didn't know any different, to be honest. I came from a, a very dark background um, with violence in our house. Um, sexual, I've been sexually abused when I was eight and 14. Um, my sister, um, it was a, yeah, it was an ugly life. And my father was an alcoholic. He was Irish. My mother was a native New Zealander, which is Maori. And um, but my mother was a Christian. And she'd been Christian all her life. Uh, God bless her. Um, she passed away 29 years ago this year, um, three days before Christmas, which was, uh, yeah, it was a tough one to swallow at the time. But she prayed for me every day. But I just knew that I had to change my way. I, I couldn't stay how I was. I, I knew there had to be more to life than what I had. Um, I was making huge money, huge, huge money. I had money counting, you know, you know cash counting machines. I had everything that I had a five-bedroom house right on the beach, swimming pool, tennis courts, you know, the best cars. I used to go and stay in the penthouse in town and, um, you know, it was 15000 a week. And I had, you know, just a lot of hangers-on. I had a lot of drugs. There was a lot of women. and It was just full-time party. But, you know, I was still lonely and there was nothing. I had nothing. I still had nothing. And I had everything that the world told you. I had a big concrete business, which was ideal in Christchurch after the earthquake. You know, I mean, there was more concrete to put down than I'd ever put down the rest of my life. And, you know, it was, I was going to be a millionaire anyway. I mean, you know, if I, if I was 30 years old, I would have been a millionaire within five years of the amount of concrete that we were doing. And, um, you know, it was big, big money. And the drugs was big money. And um, I'd moved out of the prostitution stuff. Um, I kind of had enough of that. It was... Uh, yeah, I met too many girls that were really broken like me, and I, and, I, and I actually made sense that I was taking advantage of them. I never forced any of them to do anything they didn't want. I looked after them all. I never, it was never anything ugly or, or, you know, for that kind of world anyway. I actually generally cared about them because I realised they were just like me, broken. Yeah. But I knew I had to get out of it. And, I, you know, all my partners before had been prostitutes and strippers and drug addicts and... Uh, not the only people that could put up with your life. Nobody else could tolerate the type of lifestyle I had. Um, it was extreme violence. It was ext 
everything was extreme. You know, it was extreme. Everything was extreme. Like, um, yeah. But I moved away. I met my partner that I'm with now. She's now my wife. And um, I'd said a prayer. I didn't know if God was real, but my mum had believed in it, so it was good enough for me. I thought, well, I'll try it. The thing that I couldn't get over was if God was real, and this is something I hear a lot, why was my life like it was? Mm. You know, why wouldn't God come and help me? And why wouldn't he take me out of the situations, the positions I've been in? And um, I realise now that the traumas I've gone through and suffered were part and parcel of the makeup of me. Uh, you know, it made me who I was, unfortunately. And um, I was extremely broken. Yeah, and I remember you told me that you found a lot of camaraderie in the gang as well. Definitely. Uh, uh, they're the only people that wanted me. Yeah. I mean, who would want somebody like me? You know, I did my first robbery when I was 11, armed robbery when I was 11. Um, I didn't care about anybody. After My father shot my dog when I was um, when I was seven for misbehaving. Um, you know, I don't even think I was misbehaving, to be honest. I, I have five mental health illnesses, and one's ADHD, dyslexia, bipolar, Asperger's, and OCD. So I think I was just spirited. Um, I don't think I was really bad. I, I just missed bit mischievous. Always had a good sense of humour. Unfortunately, was hasn't served me well that all the time. But um, my father shot my dog, and I was never the same after that day. Yeah, something changed inside me, and I was I was never ever the same, and I knew it. Um, I'd never cried in my life. I cried last year, first time, oh. and uh, yeah, so. The gangs, you know, I met my friends in the boys' home, which is uh, the Borstal, and, and, you know, I was 11 years old, and it was the first time I'd ever had a birthday cake or anybody to celebrate my birthday. I've never had a birthday party, um, never had presents. People weren't allowed at my house. Um, people didn't want to come to my house because of how I was, and um, even as a kid. Um, which I was never horrible to the kids. I beat, beat up all the bullies, to be honest. And um, I always, the girls always were friendly to me because, you know, I used to take care of them. And yeah. I had a sister, so I used to look after my sister. But I, I realised when I got to the boys' yeah. home. Yeah, go ahead. I realised when I got to the boys' home that um, I was now in an environment with everybody just like me. Mm. And, um, and I understood them and they understood me. And I got friends for the very first time. And we were the marginalised people. We were the rejects. We were the ones that were discarded, being raised by the system. And as we all know, the system's a broken system. It doesn't matter whether you're in Australia, America, or England, or New Zealand, or even Hawaii, or wherever. The system's broken. So if it, the system's raising you, you're going to be raised broken. Yeah. And um, that was pretty much it was what it was for me. So I, I found um, a brotherhood. Yeah, you, and you. so you've been part of that lifestyle for 30-something. 30 36 years. And you're just about to turn 50. And then you told me the story about how things changed for you involving a mutual friend of ours, which I am still smiling about. So why don't you, why don't you share that story? Yeah, well, knowing that I need to change my life, you know, moving fast forward, um, I knew that I had to change. And I'd had a new, I got my new partner, who's now my wife. But I said to God, if you're real, 
I need a girl that's going to help me get to know you. Long story short, I ended up with a girl that he provided, he gave me. Really blessed I am, I still am. And um, we, I, I said, like, listen, if, if you really want to make this work with me, I have to leave here. I, I can't stay here in this city. I have to leave. So he said, where would you like to go? And, um, well, Kaikoura is a place I've always gone all my life. Here's my cat. Oh, no. <laughs> Go away, Lynn. But um, she wants her tea. But anyway, um, we moved. She said, where would you like to go? I said, Kaikoura. And she says, okay, then let's go. So we got a house. We moved up. My granddad lived just down the road, 10 minutes away from my house um, with my nana. And I was so glad. Um, they weren't my real nana and granddad. They'd adopted me. I was always looking for um, grandparents, a grandmother or grandfather to take me on because um, I had real nice grandparents, but they'd already passed. But these people took me in and took me on, and um, I, I was great. I just So we moved the end. Life was good. All I was going to do was go crayfishing, fishing, surfing, and hunting And because um, I love hunting and fishing and diving. And I really love surfing. And um, so away we went. And I'd known Brian for a long time. See my cat trying to push in on me? Yeah. He this is just no good. Where you go, lady. You know, the interview. <laughs> she, um, she wants her dinner. I, said, I have to go and put it down for her. But anyway, so like we moved there and everything was good. And I knew I'd known Brian. Uh, for for quite a long time, actually, I, I didn't know him personally, but I just knew he was a nice guy. He was genuine. He was always friendly to me. Um, I knew his sons; they all surf. Uh, he's got four sons, and and him, and all five of them surf, and they surf well. And um, so, you know, I always used to talk to him. Well, we'd just moved there, and I'd only been there like two weeks, and cray fishing was going good, the surfing was great, and everything was going good. And then he asked, uh, I was just, I'd been at the supermarket, the store buying beer for the weekend and he'd seen me driving out and he'd come running over and he just said, hey, Lucky, I hear you've moved to town. I said, yeah, that's right. He said, um, how about you come to church tomorrow? Oh, I couldn't believe he said it. I've never been asked to go to church. And I said, um, to be honest, I was trying to come up with a lie. I was trying to think of a lie, and he was right there, had his head in the window of my car. My wife sitting next to me, and I'm trying to think of a lie. Tell him, and I couldn't come up with one. I was, I just said, "Oh yeah, okay," and it was really uncomfortable because I'd been standing there for about five minutes, sitting there, and he was just looking at me, waiting. Maybe it was a minute, but it seemed like a long time. And so anyway, I said, "Okay, this is ten o'clock tomorrow." I'll see you tomorrow. And he off he skipped and my wife looked at me when he went away and she goes, we're not going to church, are we? I said, well, we are actually. I gave that man my word, so we're going. I went home, started drinking, and I started getting really nervous and anxious and going to church and started drinking quite heavy and woke up in the morning, got dressed and went down, turned around and faced my car facing home, walked in, and all that music, I just couldn't stand church music. There's nothing worse to somebody that's not saved the years. And um, it was, I sat it right at the very back. I was really awkward. I seen everybody look at me come in and they know who, who I am. And I had a bit of a reputation, of course, even up there. And um, 
It was really awkward. I didn't know have a, I didn't understand anything they were saying about. I knew nothing that he was preaching about. I just thought to my wife, said, "What?" When they did their last song, I said, "Right, let's go." They're all going to try and grab us. So we disappeared and shot off, and that was okay. And I just said, "I don't know about that." Anyway, Kaikoura is a small town, as you know. And uh, later the following week, I had to go into town to get some stuff, Haley and I, and we went into town and. Brian kind of sprung out of the shop. <laughs> he says, oh, hi, Lucky. How are you? I says, yeah, no, I'm good. He goes, how'd you like church? <clears throat> and I didn't, I can't lie. It's part of my um, being on the spectrum that I'm on. I, I really wanted to say what I wanted to say, and I really didn't have a filter, but I just didn't want to crush him. So I said, oh, you know. It was how it was. I said, oh, because I tell you what, why don't you come this Sunday? And I was like, oh, so I just, I was just trying to think of a lie again. And I was really trying hard. And, and my wife's standing there and it's getting awkward again. I was just, oh, yeah, okay, I'll see you tomorrow. He goes, great, 10 o'clock. So we went that, that morning and woke, I just went and got really drunk that night. <clears throat> and I was really panicking. I said to my wife, I don't know about this. So anyway, woke up in the morning and being a man of my word, I had to go. So we went. I waited for the music to finish because I just couldn't stand listening to it. And I already had my car facing home. And we went in, sat right at the very back. And he started preaching again. I have no idea what he's talking about. Honestly, I, just, I was really trying hard to work out what he was saying, but it was like he was speaking, I don't know. I just I couldn't work it out. I had no idea. And I walked out, and I seen all the Christians looking at us and, I really knew they really wanted to hug me. I don't know why they're all looking at me. They had their hugging eyes on them. They wanted to hug me and make me drink coffee. That's what I always say. <laughs> oh, dear. That's what happens in church. We hug and we drink coffee. <laughs> I don't drink coffee. So it was another fear. But um, it came up to the last song and I said, right, quick, let's get out of here. So we shot off and we left and, and that was good. And I said, oh, like, that's it. I said, we're going to have to come up with a plan. Because if this is a small town, Ryan's always going to pop up on us somewhere. This is when he became the stalker, not the pastor. I call him the stalker. <laughs> and anyway, sure enough, Haley and I are going into town and um, had to go into Christchurch City. Before I left, I had to shoot into town, so I shot into Kaikoura and I was walking along and sure enough, Brian was coming in the opposite direction and he'd seen me and he had big smiles on his face and Come rushing up, he said, "How was it, Lucky? How are you?" I said, "Oh, I'm good." He goes, "How was church?" I said, "Well, to be honest, Brian, it was horrible. I hated it." And he just looked at me. I didn't care about his feelings anymore. I just didn't want to go to church, so I just let him have it. And he looked at me. He said, "Oh, that's no good." But before I went into Christ, it was into Kaikoura, I said to my wife on the weekend, "Look, this is a small town. We're going to have to come up with a plan." Now I can't lie. You're gonna to have to start. You're gonna to have to tell him a lie. No, I remember. He's gonna have to say. Remember you telling me that you were in the courts and you couldn't lie. Yeah. You told the truth. No. Your biggest sentence for. It. They gave me a double sentence. The judge said to me, "You're either the dumbest criminal or the most honest. What is it?" So I like to think it's the most honest. But he doubled my sentence for telling the truth. <laughs> so I said to my wife, "You're gonna to have to lie. It's gonna to have to be you. Just say, listen, we're not available, Brian. We've got something else on." So when I went into town. I shot him by myself because she was in the shower. 
And then when I seen him coming along the street, I just couldn't believe it. And um, he came rushing up to me, like I said, and I let him have it. I told him it was horrible and everything. And all I could think of was, I need my bloody wife. Where's my wife? I need my wife. And he said, look, like, how was church? I told him, he said, how about you come this Sunday? And I, I couldn't even come up with your lie, as, you, as we all know now. And my wife would had the plan, and she wasn't with me. So I just said, yeah, okay, I'll see you Sunday. And I kind of stormed off. And I was really angry. And I got back up home, went up home to pick up my wife to drive into Christchurch. And I kicked in the door. And I just blew her up and said, it's your fault. We've got to go to church on Sunday because you weren't with me. I says, we're going to have to stick together. We cannot be separated in this town now. Because we're going to have to keep going to church. Because I just can't, I just, I can't come up with anything. Anyway, we went into Christchurch and we were coming doing our business in Christchurch, her and I, and um, Hayley had quite a big business as well in Christchurch. And we were coming back on uh, the Friday night, and uh, I was a Saturday actually, and I got arrested. I got pulled over. I was wanted in Kaikoura for some old charges they'd found. And anyway, um, they sent the cops out to get me, and I was driving back to Kaikoura, and I seen the flashing lights coming on the country road. And I knew they were coming for me. I had the sixth sense of police. And so I pulled into this farm and hid behind a hay barn. And the cop car came straight in behind me and parked behind me. And this guy hopped out. He says, hi, Lucky, what are you doing? I says, well, I'm actually trying to hide. He says, I thought so. I said, he goes, I've got a warrant for you. It's okay. Now, this guy, was his name was Dave, and I'd, I'd never been treated like how he treated me. I've never been treated. He treated me really, really well. I'm not saying that I was always treated badly or poorly, but there was just something different about him. I know now what it is. It's because we're called to be different. He was a Christian. I didn't know that at the time. I just knew there was something different. He was really polite, and he was really um, helpful. He said, like, listen, drive home now. I'll follow you back. I'll pick you up, take you down to the station. I'll process you, and then I'll drop you home. I said, okay. So I hopped in my car and said to my wife, there's something different about this cop. I don't know what it is, something different. So the plan, went. we did exactly that. He dropped me home, took me to the station, and then dropped me home after he processed me. I started getting drunk. As soon as he left, I had church the next day, and I started hatching this ugly plan on revenge on a cop. But anyhow, um, my wife got up, and she said, right, Pull that bear down. It's time to go to bed. I says, no, no, I'm making a plan. She goes, no, I'm not interested. You're not doing it either. Um, she said, you'll get to bed. You're not going. We're not. I'm not going down this track with you. So I wasn't going to argue with her because she was always right. And um, so I, I went to bed. Woke up the next morning. Went to church. Um, I was still a bit drunk. She was driving. Drove past the car that I've cop that had been giving me quite a lot of trouble while I was in Kaikoura, and um, he was pulling me over every day, being a nuisance. And anyway, I drove. We drove past and kind of gave him a, an ugly sign, you know. And um, and he just looked at me, and he pulled me over every day for about three months. And he just looked at me, and I carried on. I was only hundred meters away from the church. I didn't stand outside the church this day. I walked straight in, listened to all the ugly music, me and my wife. I sat right at the back. I seen every Christian looking at me. They're all standing, all looking at me. I thought, well, this is the last time you'll ever see me. 
um, I said to my wife that night, I, the one thing that will never change is me, and me will be the hate for the police. Will definitely be the hate for police. I truly hate them. They'd be one of the agencies that I had a lot of trouble with, obviously being a gangster. And I hated two gangs and the police. That was it. There's plenty of gangs in my city, but I got on good with them. I knew all the presidents. I knew every head man of every uh, gang in, the, in our in our city. Okay, so um, yeah, so we walked into church, and I was standing there at the back, Haley and I, and the music was going, and I looked around and I seen that cop that arrested me the day before walk in, and he walked straight into the church. He walked right up the front with his wife and four little kids. And I looked at my wife and said, hey, that's that cop from yesterday. She goes, yeah, I know. Don't start any fights in church. I said, no, no, I need to go and speak to him, though. Long story short, the service went on. I knew nothing. And all I could do was focus on him. But halfway through this church service, I was getting my chest crushed. It was getting crushed right here. It was like I was in a giant vice just getting crushed. And I said to my wife, hey, listen, I grabbed her by the hand. I said, you have to watch me. I think I'm going to either ha- I'm having a heart attack or a stroke. I'm not sure what one, but you really have to watch me. And she said, yeah, okay, I will. And I, I could only breathe out. I couldn't breathe in. And I was having pains in my chest, and I was, I was really uncomfortable. I started to panic, actually. And then church finished, and they went into the one more worship song. Instead of leaving this time, I walked straight up in front of the church, in behind this cop, Dave, and tapped him on his shoulder. And he'd sat down. He'd seen me sitting in church, and I'd seen him. He walked in with his head down. He put his head down the whole time where he sat in that chair. And I walked up, tapped him on his shoulder, said, hey, Dave, I'm sorry, Matt, put you in that position yesterday. And he looked up and looked at me, and his whole – it was soaked. His wife said, my husband sat down when he seen you and cried the whole service. Wow. He said to me, hey, Lucky, can you come up to the front? Can I pray for you? I didn't know what it was. I said, yeah, sure, why not? So he got me up the front of the church. He said, do you mind if I get a few guys? I said, you know, go for your life. I didn't know what was happening. He went and got three other men. They were three other cops in Kaikoura. There was only five cops in Kaikoura, and four of them were in church. So he went and got them, and they came up to me, and they all knew me because, um, you know, I was a man of interest. They had a big poster up, you know, half the size of my body of me in the police station of a person of interest, and, you know, I'm registered as dangerous and all the rest of it. But um, they all put their hand on me and started praying. First off, they, the head man, the head cop of Kaikoura said to me, Lucky, I just want you to forgive us for all the things that's happened in your life through us, through not being there to save you when um, you were young. See, my mum used to ring the police and they'd turn up and they'd go away because my father would smooth it over then it was even worse for us. And that's when I got my head of police because I thought they were supposed to look after us, yeah. which it made things worse. So they'd apologise and they prophetically spoke over my life and asked for forgiveness. And then they started praying for me. And while they were praying for me, they were praying in tongues. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't even know what they were saying. I'd never heard people speaking in tongues. And right then and there, the Lord said to me, I gave you a new heart. That pain in your chest was me giving you a new heart. Your heart was too cold and it was too hard. And it was. I had to have it that way. And he says, um, you've got a new heart and now you'll feel for people what you've never felt before. 
Man, my heart's just gotten bigger and bigger like that this whole time, five and a half years. It's ridiculous. I was crying yesterday because I was just thinking about somebody that I know who's going for a tough time. Yeah. It really affects me now. And you know what? Empathy, the Lord told me that empathy is actually just love. Mm. And he gave me a heart of empathy. But empathy is actually love. And, boy, my whole life changed that day. I never was the same. I looked at those men. The Lord said to me, those men are your brothers. This is my house. Everybody in this house are your family. And um, I realized that um, that that hate towards the place disappeared, bang, like that. Never had it back. You know, a year year later, a year and a half later, I'm speaking at New Zealand Police Conference. When they'd heard about my life change, radically changed how it did, I spoke at the police conference for three days. And I got invited to the last one as well, and I've got, I've got to go to the next one. But it was changed radically. Incredible, Lucky. An amazing story and uh, so many different facets to it. Thank you so much for sharing with us. We're talking with Pastor Lucky Takoa, who hails from New Zealand and has an amazing backstory, but perhaps even more amazing is the story of where God is using him today. So we'll be back. There's nothing quite like hearing God's voice. With one word, people's lives are forever changed. But at the same time, hearing God's voice is also risky. History tells the terrible tales of abuse associated with the claim, God told me. So how do we hear from God? How do we know it's God? And what does it all look like in the life of the church? In my book, The Church Who Hears God's Voice, I bring history, theology and real-life experience from my PhD research together to answer these questions. The book provides both a comprehensive theology and pastoral strategy for building a community where everyone can hear the Spirit in ways that are theologically orthodox and pastorally safe. Every time the Spirit speaks, disciples are formed, miracles happen, and God's mission is fulfilled. May we be the church who hears God's voice. Available in hard copy or digital at your favourite bookstore and godconversations.com. Welcome back to God Conversations with Tanya Harris. We're talking with Pastor Lucky Takoa. And if you've just heard the first half of that podcast, your mouth may be wide open like mine was when I first heard Lucky's story. Such a beautiful testimony of grace. And I think I love that image of getting a new heart and actually you felt it physically. That's so profound. You know, Lucky, the thing that we had in common, I think, was a real passion for hearing God and doing what God says. Oh, and, yes. Mm. You know, it's all about God conversations. So tell us a little bit about how God spoke to you about what happened next because what you do now is so different to what you used to do. Yeah, totally different. Um, yeah, so, you know, so I got saved that day and um, – and, you know, I, to, the honest truth is I thought I'd only be good enough to do the sausage sizzle at church now and again, you know, on a Sunday. Um, yeah, it was uh, three months after I got saved, I had to leave Kaikoura because of the Kaikoura earthquake. And so we moved north. Um, I went and done the pastorate leadership training at Unleashed, with, you know, for a new life. And Brian had sent me. I have no idea why he sent me. Have no idea. Um, I've never read the Bible. I hadn't read it then either. I'm, I've got dyslexia. Um, got trouble with comprehension. And he sent me with all these Christians, and I, I was real tough. I was, man, it was tough. 
Um, I struggle with Christians. I, um, <laughs> I don't mean that horribly, Very but boy, they're tough. <laughs> they were oh. tough. Most of them at the training didn't want to talk to me, didn't even want to talk, look at me, didn't want to sit near me and all the rest of it. And, you are slightly, you know, I mean, I'm pretty you wild. Are slightly, and, you are slightly intimidating, Lucky. I have to I say. know. And, um, no. But I always thought, you know, we're supposed to be, we're not supposed to judge. And I, I always knew that about Christians, but I didn't feel that. But anyhow, long story short, a year and a half later, I got made a pastor. And um, Brian ordained me in the Kaikoura Church. All my friends and family came. They couldn't believe what was happening. I couldn't believe it, to be honest. I have no idea. It's the last thing. I, I thought I'd cook the sausages, but um, <laughs> and I'm happy to cook the sausages. I'm happy to clean the church, but I never thought I'd be standing in the front of one. Yeah, so tell us but, about um, your ministry now. It's called Kingdom Brotherhood, I think. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the guys that I met at the pastoral training is um, Ralph Sutherland. You'd probably know him. Ralph Sutherland from Palmerston North. He's probably got the biggest church, New Life Church in New Zealand, um, with the biggest group. And I really liked Ralph Sutherland. He he was really open and friendly to me. I met him at a couple of occasions. And, you know, I was happened to be in Wellington, and I said to my wife on the way home, look, listen, let's, uh, let's stop off and see Ralph, go to Ralph Sutherland's church on Sunday and just go and see him because it's on the way home. So she said, okay. So we went and seen his, went to his church and seen him and come and hugged us and talked to us and got good seats and we're sitting there and I was really looking forward to hearing him preach because um, I really, really have a real heart for Ralph Sutherland. And anyway, as soon as the worship started, bang, the Lord gave me this download and he was telling me what I had to do. I was looking around to make sure nobody was talking to me. Because this is the very first time outside of when my life changed, he told me to give me a new heart and different things. And he says, Lucky, um, I need you to obey me. I need you to do what I say and have faith in me and trust me. And I'm looking around to think, where the And I, I said to my wife, Is any can you hear anybody talking? She goes, I can hear them singing. She goes, Why, what's up? She says, Well, I'm hearing this stuff. And she's looking at me and I said, I'm trying not to be weird. God's telling me I have to listen to him and I do this and I have to do all this stuff. And then he said to me, look, I'm telling you, Lucky, you're going to have to raise an army. It's time to raise an army. Well, I've been a gangster all my life. I've come out of a, an army. And I thought, so well, what i got to do? got to get gangsters again. I'm trying to change my life. He said, no, no, it's time to raise people up. I need you to raise people up. It's time to grow an army. Because things aren't going to stay how they've always been and times are changing. And I need you to raise righteous leaders, men that are fearless and bold. Gave me this whole thing. I couldn't believe it. Said to my wife, he wants me to raise up an army. She was a bit sceptical about what I was saying. I know by this stage, I was already praying two to three hours a day. I start at one o'clock in the morning. Boy, I started to continue doing that, and then the Lord started downloading me everything I have to do. Kingdom Brotherhood got born in. I was going to call it a Māori name, which was Tangata Whenua Kaitiaki o Aotearoa, which means the guardians of the people of the country. But the Lord told me, no, it's Kingdom Brotherhood. You're building my kingdom with the brothers that you're going to bring in. Love that. You're going to have to heal them first. So Kingdom Brotherhood now is a men's ministry, where I'm raising leaders all over the country. Um, 
all over the country, um, men and women now, but mainly men. You're doing it in a very unique way as well. From what I understood, I, I was so um, interested in how you're helping and working with those men to heal from some of the trauma of the past. Yeah. So, yeah, we do it. We, I run it with the gangs um, and we, I do a trauma program because now I'm an expert on trauma. Um, I've had every trauma you can think of <laughs> and uh, I know their fix on it now because it leads us into addiction. And addiction isn't just um, alcohol, drugs, it's shopping, work, spending, porn, um, coffee, all this, eating, a whole lot of stuff. So I deal with trauma, addiction, depression, anxiety, grief, relationships, self-worth, and walk all these people through these journeys because it brings freedom and peace because God wants us to have freedom and peace in our lives. And these people have been shackled to this stuff. My best testimony that I've heard, and I do this with all the gangs, and it's changing them. It really is. There's massive fruit to be seen now. Was an 86-year-old lady that had been saved for nearly 60 years. And when I wrote in that program for this group of ladies who are um, very privileged uh, ladies uh, in a privileged area in New Zealand, I had a group over there. It was the very first time she had had freedom and peace in her life. And that's not okay. She'd been in church for nearly 60 years. We don't go to church. I'm not going to church to listen to a scripture. I'm going to see. I want people to be set free. Um, freedom and peace in people's lives. One of the unique things you were telling me about was the way that you open up and are vulnerable about your story. Yeah. Cracks other people open because I think um, the gangs, everyone's pretty tough, aren't they? Very, yeah. very very strong veneers, very big walls, and yeah. someone has to go first and set the example. Yes. I, I, yeah, I do. So I talk about um, being sexually abused. I, I talk about um, the things that I've gone through in my life. I thought, talk about my addictions because it sets a safe platform for them to be able to share yeah. and speak because there's, there's strength and vulnerability, and it's time for people to be vulnerable, real, and honest because that's what sets others free. And, um, boy, it pays off. You know, if I had a dollar for every time I hear somebody say, I've never shared this before, ever, because we talk about being suicidal, I was suicidal, we talk about all those things, um, I would have $367 because I count every person that says that, and that's what I've heard in the last three years. 367 people say, I've never shared that before. Yeah, yeah. And then we pray it over them. See, the scripture is James 5, 5.13. Is confess your sins to one another, pray for one another that you may be healed because the prayer of righteous person has great power. So it doesn't just mean about our sins. It means just the talk. It means the share. And this is where you had, I, I was so excited about what you're doing because that's exactly where my ministry is at the moment, God Conversations, how do you hear God's voice? And, and yeah. actually it leads us to hear from God about the stuff in our hearts and our response mm. needs to be confession in order to get here. Yeah. So I, I sure. was fascinated to hear that's one of your um, distinctives about what you're doing as well. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, um, you know, I, I, I don't know how it is for others about hearing God speak. I think mine is based on the amount of time I have with God. Right. You know, I do between four and five hours a day with God from one o'clock to six o'clock in the morning, sometimes a bit earlier, but generally. And, um, you know, do you want to know what the last thing he said to me was? And that was this morning. 
nine o'clock this morning. Please share. Um, so I've got I've got I've got an issue with my eyes at the moment. It's called dry eyes. And I had it two years ago, and I thought I was crying, but it wasn't. It was dry eyes, but it's anyhow. I went and got these drops, and it never worked. But I just got it back again. And you know what? I, I, I grabbed this box of um, different eye drops. I got about five different types of eye drops. And I looked at them and says, why am I trusting and having faith in this? I've got to go to the Father because I go to him for everything. So you remember, you could do 100 righteous things every week, but if it's not what God's called you to do, it's fruitless or pointless. So I take everything to God. So I said to him, right, I'm not going to take these drops anymore. The pointless. I've got to trust in you. I need my eyes healed. I need them healed right now. Now, I've, I've watched you allow me heal and bring healing to people and everything else, but I need you to heal my eyes. So I had my hands on my eyes. I said, I need you to heal my eyes. I need them to be as sharp as an eagle's eyes are. I need them to be restored back to how they were. I do not need this happening at the moment. It is discom- it's, discom- it's bringing discomfort, and I know that you don't want that for me. So I said that on my eyes, and the Lord said to me, why would I heal your eyes when you're watching the rubbish you're watching? Mm. And I was like, what? He goes, that rubbish that's taking up your time during the day. You know, I've got to admit this. Um, I watch all this rubbish on my phone sometimes when I've got downtime, and it's fighting. And, um, you know, I, I, that was a big part of my life. And so now I started watching fighting because I'm not fighting. I haven't had a fight since I got saved, not one fight. I used to fight every Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And, you know, heinous fights, you know, punch-ups and pubs, but there's also a lot of really extreme violence, like extreme, extreme violence. And I'll watch it. I've been filling my brain up with this rubbish. And I just said, what do you mean? He goes, you know, I've taken you out of there and you're trying to stay there and you're watching it. I'll heal your eyes. You stop watching it. Bang. I said, right, I'll do it. I won't watch it again. Do you know what? My eyes have been perfect since. Bang, just like that. Amazing. My wife's been looking at my eyes going, she, when I went and sent her to that lunch, she goes, what happened to your eyes? So I told her. She goes, what the heck? It, That's incredible. Know. That's incredible, Lucky. Lucky, um, um, tell us a bit more about the ministry that you're doing among um, perhaps the way that God has yeah. spoken to you and worked through, you know, your ministry with some of the, the men. Okay, so I work with New Zealand's two biggest gangs, Mongrel Mob and Black Power. And they are the two biggest gangs in this country by far. Um, because of my history, I ended up in there. And, you know, God's He's called us and he's gone before us. So we just got to walk through the gates that he opens up. And uh, one of them was, well, the head man, his name is H. His real name is Marley Taipari. He's the president of three chapters of Black Power in the country. And... Um, I went and seen him and said, I can help you guys. And he says, oh, yeah, how's that? I says, um, I've got a program. It's a program that the Lord gave me. This is the program that I do in the kingdom, brotherhood, in the kingdom ministry. It took me a year and a half to write because I've got dyslexia, and now it's changing people's lives, not just gang members, but churches, pastors, church leaders, tradies, housewives, teenagers. We run this program with everybody. And you see it instantly straight away. Anyway, long story short, I um, I went and run this program with a, with Darryl, Pastor Daryl that you met as well. Him and I went. And I said to him, look, <clears throat> two weeks before I went and did this meeting for them, this takes uh, three days, the Lord said, book a place 
where you're going to run the meeting, next to the river or next to the sea, because you're going to baptise that whole chapter. And then I was just couldn't believe it. I says, well, Lord, he goes, book a place next to the sea or the river because you're going to baptise that whole chapter. So, okay. So I told my wife and I told Pastor Daryl and I told a few other people and I told Pastor Brian as well. I said, we're going to baptise this whole chapter. So on the Saturday, I said to H, hey, listen, um, I'm going to offer baptising you guys tomorrow. He goes, oh, okay. See, H knows the Lord. He'd be what he, he considers himself a Christian, and, and he is a Christian. Actually, I consider him as a Christian as well, even though he's a president of the gang. And I said, I'm gonna gonna offer it to you guys. He can he goes, You can do what you want, Lucky. I'm not gonna influence the men in any way, shape, or form. If they say yes, then great. If they say no, it's is what it is. But I've got nothing. I'm not I won't be saying anything. So anyway, that was Saturday, and I said, Okay, so went to bed that night and I said, Hey H, don't forget. I'm baptising everybody tomorrow. And he just laughed. He said, yeah, sure, lucky. Woke up in the morning. I've told Pastor Daryl and I told Carl, who was travelling with me, start praying tonight. This is what the Lord said. This is why we are where we are. We're going to baptise this chapter. Prayed that night. I prayed the whole night, the whole night. Woke up in the morning, walked straight out of where we were staying. I seen H there and I said, hey, H, God doesn't get it wrong, bro. We're baptising you all today. He said, yeah, it is what it is. So we ran our meeting, and at the end of the meeting, I said, right, guys, I'm going to tell you what baptism is. So I said, it's a washing of the old and, and bringing in cleansing of the new. I said, I'm going to get rid of all of our old dirtiness, all our filth off us, and we're going to become a new creation. As God is our witness, and as a witness of each other. And then I let Daryl preach his part. And while we're sitting there on these seats, all of us, I said, right, so who'd like to get baptised right now? And every one of them instantaneously jumped out of their seats like this and said, yes. Wow. I couldn't believe it, although I had faith. I just couldn't believe it. It was uh, <laughs> I said to the other two guys, quick, get everybody in the cars. So we got them all in the cars, got them all down to the beach, and we all walked out. They were all in their vests with all their patches on the back and everything. Everybody's walking into the sea because nobody else is prepared. We're all in our undies. So we're walking down the beach in our boxes, and everybody all around this beach all just looking at us. We walked out and baptised the whole chapter. That's incredible. That's God. Incredible. And and so simple too, hearing the voice of God and just following it, you know. God always says such outrageous things, doesn't he? It's unbelievable. (laughs) Unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Lucky, it's been such a privilege to have you on the show and thank you so cool. much for what you're doing to change the gangs in New Zealand, really. Yeah. So many, so many lives. I know that when we had lunch, you just sharing people's stories and what God is doing is straight out of the book of Acts. And I just love it. Mm. So bless you. If someone was listening to this and they wanted to find you and learn a bit more about your ministry, where would they go? Um, they could go onto YouTube or Google. Um, so it's Lucky Tukoha, L-U-C-K-Y-T-E space K-O-H-A. Um, it's on YouTube and um, and Google so they can get in touch with me or Facebook, Messenger. I'm available. Love it. And Lucky, oh. thank you again for following the voice of the Spirit. And I'm sure there are hundreds and hundreds of lives that are thankful for your obedience. Mm. So bless Amen. you. It's been a joy to have you. Glory to God. And nice being with you too. Thanks for listening to God Conversations with Tanya Harris. 
Don't miss the next episode by subscribing to the show on your favorite podcast app. And remember, the Holy Spirit was given so we could all hear God's voice. It was never meant to be a one-way conversation.